Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the latest episode of the World Soccer Talk Show, where we talk about various topics from throughout the soccer world with a pair of guests. And today we're joined by Karthik Krishnayar and Keith Costigan. Keith, who is a, has a UEFA A license that many of you will know from his work with the Seattle Sounders and Fox Sports. Obviously, many of you also know Karthik Krishnayar from his appearances on the World Soccer Talk podcast and frequently on the World Soccer Talk website. Now, today, Keith and Karthik, we're going to talk about coaching philosophies. And Keith, I want to start with you. I, I just mentioned how you have a UEFA A coaching license. Can you kind of give a background on what that is and how hard it is to attain that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I played at a, a relatively decent level at USL. And um, I think if you want to go into coaching, I think coaching, education, people will have differing opinions on it. But I think it serves as, as guidance in terms of, you know, if you want to, it, it doesn't tell you how to coach. It gives you a platform and uh, an idea of how to shape your ideas and make it easier to deliver those ideas to players. I think that would be the best way of putting what coaching education is. Uh, UEFA A license is, um, it's, 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 it's a costly and it's a time consuming process. I mean, uh, I was lucky enough to go straight in at UEFA B where you spend 10 days at the, at a, you know, a football association throughout Europe, whichever one you choose, you do a lot of on-field work. You do a lot of theoretical work as well. Uh, you have to perform. Um, you know, you're given a topic, just just say, you know, uh, attacking movements of the front three. That would be your topic. And you have to come up with, you know, uh, how you would coach those kind of uh, those topics. You're evaluated on that. You go away, you do the A, where someone will actually come to your club um, and evaluate you with your team. You'll do a lot of uh, philosophy and vision booklet, you know, which is basically like if you're going to be running a club, what's your idea? What's your game plan? How do you put everything together? Um, the, the whole time period from, you know, the B to the A was about three, three and a half years for me. Um, incredible, incredible journey. You meet so many great, uh, people who evaluate you, but also the people that you take the courses with. I mean, I took, I took with Kevin Coban, Shay Given, you know, th- these kind of people that were on my course and you learn a lot from, from, from the day-to-day interactions with players, talking to them about what works for coaches when they've been successful versus what didn't and uh and yeah i mean that's that's basically i wanted to do it because i, I believe to be a coach you can't just 
say you have an idea, you have to understand how to deliver that idea and, and make it as uh, palatable for your players as possible. And, and, and that's why I went about that process. And Keith, talk about how much you have to learn and how much you have to know to be a coach. And the, the example you mentioned, attacking with a front three, there's so many different ways to do that. And from so many of the armchair coaches like myself who have no ex- actual experience, we think we know what works. But what makes a great coach? And we see all these different philosophies uh, in the real world for various leagues. But what makes different philosophies successful on the pitch? Your, your ability to implement your ideas. Um, I mean, I've scouted for U.S. soccer. And one of my things was I would look at a team and forget about score, forget about, you know, one team is obviously probably going to be better than the other. I'm, I'm scouting LA Galaxy against FC Golden State. Galaxy are pr- probably going to have better players, but I'm looking and I'm saying, is there an identity with this team? Do the players understand what their roles are within the team? Um, and I think, I think so many people have great ideas. So many people have an understanding of the game. Um, your ability to say, here's what I want from my front three. I want my nine to drop in and open up space. I want my wingers to, to be a little bit more inverted, come inside. Okay, well, how you, you can't just say that and then they do it. How do you implement that on a day-to-day basis in practice so they understand? Um, for me, the way I do it is I, I go as close to game like as possible because I think the game presents the challenges that you need. So I've seen coaches who say, here's what I want to do, do this. And you see it in a game and they... I get so upset that, you know, the game has presented a, a, a roadblock. Um, so for me, it's the ability to have an idea and then the ability to understand the opposition has an idea of how to stop it. So creating players that can make decisions within that process, um, working on that day by day by day. It's not, it's not as simple as walking into a club and saying, you know, here we go. Um, this is my philosophy. It's going to work from day one. There's going to be growing pains, but it, through that, I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan, so I look at Jurgen Klopp, year one, year two, year three. You saw the growing pains, but you also saw the ideas seeping through even when things didn't go well. I can still see what the idea is there and I can understand. So, so that, that for me separates the ideas people. And, and there's a lot of great people with ideas um, in terms of the people that can actually implement those ideas by their uh, day-to-day actions on the, on the training field with their players and, and with the club. Carter, Keith talks about uh, the growing pains of bringing in a new manager. And some clubs and organizations have tried to minimize those growing pains. I think the most obvious example is what we see with RB Salzburg and RB Leipzig going, for example, Jesse Marsh. And they try to take those same ideas that we see from Salzburg and apply them to Leipzig or vice versa. So what do you, can you talk about that kind of philosophy and trying to apply different coaching ideas to entire organizations as opposed to just one coach being the one that brings in all the ideas? Yeah, well, in that, that specific example, Red Bull football has an overall overarching philosophy that was uh, set by Ralph Ranick uh, several years ago when, when they were when Leipzig was still in the second division, right? And Salzburg was playing similar football. And some of the uh, coaches you've seen from Salzburg, Marco Hosa, and others have gone on to uh, kind of fill uh, bigger coaching jobs, right? Hosa is now at uh, Dortmund, where he's very much trying to continue and he's also managed at Mainz so there's a Mainz connection with uh, Tuchel and Klopp also but continuing that philosophy so Red Bull is a unique example because they have a they have a style of football and a style of scouting they scout specifically to that style of football and Jesse Marsh was I think a very logical choice Um, the only thing that I guess could be said about Leipzig specifically is that under Leon Nagelsmann they 
they evolved there there was a little bit more of a, a pragmatism to how they played or l- just a little bit difference in the drills that they ran during training uh, on a, on a day in and day out basis and a little bit different philosophy in terms of possession keeping the ball Raniak was very much a, a believer that that you win the ball back high and then you shoot within a certain amount of time right and, and a lot of times Nagelsmann teams pulled it back and held possession so the life's um the Red Bull is a unique example but they look specifically for coaches and players it's not just coaches but players that fit that style um in other coaching uh situations like Manchester United is a, is a great example and Spurs those two clubs recently have been all over the place they have uh and Chelsea quite frankly have have gone from managers with one style to managers with another to managers who are just very pragmatic and, and will do whatever the personnel dictates to going back to stylists. So uh, I, I'm particularly compelled by what might happen with Raniak uh, at Manchester United. He's brought Chris Armas, who we know well, uh, in to help with the training sessions because he uh, believes in that philosophy and understands what you need to do during training and training drills to to. Uh, to, to play kind of the Red Bull way, which we assume Man United will now. Do they have the personnel? Ranić has inherited a, a group of players that has uh, that have been recruited by various coaches with no philosophy. So um, I think what Keith is talking about specifically, you see, I, I hate to come back to the cliche because it, it seems overused now, but you see in Liverpool and Manchester City currently, right? There's a settled style of play. There's a settled kind of roster of players that fit that style. Uh, we've seen in in the last few windows, both Klopp and Pep will not go out and randomly sign players, right? They, they, players have to fit what they're doing and have to fit the cultures of the club. So I think those are really the, the primary examples of coaching philosophies. And I would say to a lesser extent, Spurs, when Pochettino was there, they had structured the entire youth system to play uh, the same style of football, to, to, to have the same sort of drills and training, even with the youth players that they had with the senior team, and then they blew that all up when they sacked them. Keith, what stops coaches from mirroring others? And it can be hard because I looked at someone like Pep Guardiola. We see successful everywhere he goes. Obviously, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, and now Manchester City. So what stops managers from just doing what Pep does? I mean, obviously, Barcelona does their best to imitate it, but as we've seen this season and seasons prior, they are not doing very well at that. And we see the same kind of ideas that, you know, try to be replicated at smaller clubs or clubs that might not have the same finances. I'm sure that plays a part because Manchester City does have world-class caliber players. So what makes Pep Guardiola special or Jurgen Klopp special or any of, the, any of these other managers that we see have a defined style and that allows their clubs to be so successful? Successful, excuse me. Yeah, yeah I, I think on, on both coaches that you just mentioned, I, I do think a lot of people do try and mirror their style in, in certain aspects of what they do. Um, but it's, it's, it's like talking about, you know, copying a striker's movements inside the penalty area. There is the very elite and you can, you know, model your game on somebody, but there is that innate ability at the very top level. I, I think what Pep has shown, um, I, I think Pep doesn't perhaps get enough credit uh, as he should, because again, I mentioned your ability to implement your ideas. Everyone says, well, you just signed the best players. Well, you know, you look at the money Manchester United have spent over the last eight, 10 years, They've signed a lot of players, so why haven't we seen immediate results or you know the 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 building of an, a team identity? And it's a fact that they haven't had a coach who's been able to translate it, or maybe they have and haven't given that coach long enough. You can you can argue that as well. Um, but I, I think Pep's uh, ability to 
recognize what kind of players he wants, first of all. Uh, I, I remember when I was growing up, we'd see, you know, managers just signing a forward and I'd go, that, that, that doesn't quite fit to their, their model. He just scored 25 goals last year. They've signed him. You don't see Pep being reactive like that. Players have to fit the system. So he's very good at understanding already. If, if you're coming in, you're not coming in on a blank slate with me. You're coming in as a player that I've already identified as highly intelligent, flexible in terms of your movement, and, uh, you know, just tactically at a high level. Um, Klopp is the same. Klopp picks very different style midfielders, high-energy midfielders, pressing midfielders um, that can cover for the fullbacks going forward. So their, their ability there, it, 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 basically for me, is you're, you're already talking to someone that has a clear understanding an idea of what they want to do. Now, if you look at, you know, Pep's first year at Manchester City, there were certain players in the squad, Zabaleta coming towards the end where he said, well, hang on, I can't play this way with Zabaleta as a right back. Kyle Walker comes in and there's an immediate, you know, improvement. So there is coaches out there that try implement the same model and, and the formula of a, of a Klopp and Pep Guardiola. But the, the difference when you get to the very top level is, they have the ability to pick the right players, go after the players, have uh, an identity set up for those players and, and, and attract them. Uh, you know, we saw it with, I would argue, the great example at Liverpool is Klopp knew he wanted to play with a high line. He knew he wanted defenders that could cover ground. With Lovren, there was moments when it worked, moments when it didn't. The minute Van Dijk came in, there was a marked change. Now, you may say that's all on the player, but it's also on the coach recognising exactly what player fits in the identity, putting him in there and being successful. So, um, I mean, it's, it's not to scare it around the question. Lots of people look at Pep, model the game. But again, Pep, Pep is the first to say it too. If he had the squad of Norwich, Pep isn't having the same success. Maybe he'd get more out of the Norwich players, but he isn't having the success level that he has at Manchester City. But I, I certainly think those two, their ability to have a clear idea already of what they want to do, that allows them to identify the players that they want to implement it. And it becomes a lot more seamless in that regard than you see with other clubs who simply say, I want to sign him. He's a great player. How does he fit in? Not sure. Let me figure that out. Um, I think we saw that recently with kind of with Manchester United with Ronaldo. It's like, now we have to fit Ronaldo in. I, I never quite hear that with Liverpool or, or, or Man City. I never hear it. I mean, Raheem Sterling has been excellent. He didn't start last night. He hasn't started the majority of games this year, but when called upon, he's excellent. So I, I think, I think that's what separates them. It's, it's quite easy to say, I want to emulate and everybody should, if you want to emulate coaches, you should look to the very top, but uh, it, it's, it's also very difficult when you consider Klopp had some growing pains at Mainz. He wasn't always successful, but maybe he was as successful as he could be given the, the, the budget and constraints he had. Same at Dortmund. Um, you know, and, and, and Pep right now is in that perfect scenario of where he's at a club that has the finances, they have top level players and he has a squad that even he can leave out big personalities and they, they buy it because he's the biggest personality of them all. Kartik, I want to pivot a little bit. We talk about Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola and how they come into these clubs and they can, you know, build them up. But on the other side of the table, we have managers like Alan Pardew or Sam Allardyce. These managers are, have a reputation for allowing clubs to stay out of relegation. So is that a certain philosophy that clubs and uh, executive boards might look at uh, if they're trying to look for a new manager is who can actually save my club from going down? Yeah, yes and no. I think that that uh, has kind of run its course. I think for many years you felt like if you got a Tony Pulis in, 
or uh, or a Sam Allardyce in, those two in particular, you were going to be able to save your club from relegation. They would get the team organized. It would make the team very difficult to play against. I have to say at times, I think Pulis and Allardyce got bad reputations because I've seen teams that they've managed play plenty of progressive football. Um, and particularly Allardyce teams at times uh, have played fairly progressive football, but in the, in the latter stages of his career, when he was brought in as a specialist to prevent against relegation, it was basically shut up shop. Uh, you know, when I say he played progressive football, he did at times at Bolton and at Blackburn earlier in his career. Uh, but yeah, there's been that philosophy. I think Alan Pardew was very, it was a little bit different in the sense that Pardew uh, liked to play, but he was also a, a manager that, um, that, that could organize a side and motivate the side. He was, he was a, a man motivator. He did pretty well actually for a few years with the Newcastle team. He got them to fifth one season, which people forget uh, with uh, a lot of players that had been scouted through their scouting network, which was, was very good at the time. Um, but I think, yeah, as things have evolved, there's been more of a preference for guys like Graham Potter and Eddie Howe uh, at teams that are near the bottom of, of, of the Premier League and teams that are aspiring teams, right? Teams that want to play good football, whose fans um, might be more interested in being entertained and, and going and having a, a nice night out watching good football rather than watching dire stuff. I mean, I've talked about it before with you, Kyle, the uh, as a Manchester City fan, the 2006-2007 season under Stuart Pierce, we were so dire to watch. I actually wanted to be relegated because I thought, okay, if we're in the championship, we'll have a different manager. We'll play football. We'll go back to the kind of football we were playing under Kevin Keegan a few years earlier, which was brilliant to watch. I mean, City lost a lot of 3-2, 4-3 games in those days. Um, this is before the takeover before, right? Ob obviously, this is before Pep and, and uh, Pellegrini, et cetera. But I think that there's that that is kind of seeping into the, the the lower end of the table, a coaching philosophy where you get a guy like Eddie Howe, who if you, if you start with him as Bournemouth did in league one, and he can get you promoted playing a certain way. Same thing with a guy like Graham Potter, who I think we all acknowledge is brilliant. Uh, Daniel Farka, who just got sacked at Norwich is another guy. They, they signed a lot of guys to fit their system. Dean Smith actually built up Brentford and, and then, uh, and then Villa. So, I think that that philosophy has changed. I think there's less of the Allardyces and the Pulises and the Pardus now and more really Graham Potter is the model. And I, and I think it's just a matter of time before uh, he leaves Brighton and gets a big job. I, I have to tell you, Carter, just jumping on that. I took uh, on one of my courses. I had Antoine Simierski. And Antoine oh, he was played, on that team, uh, yes. Yeah, he, he, he played on the steward at, uh, at Man City. And he was on the bench when uh, I think David James was brought on late on as a striker. And I think it's safe to say. Uh, I think it's safe to say Antoine didn't agree with the philosophies of Stuart Pierce. But I, I do think it's important to to point out when we say philosophy, that is a philosophy. I, I would look at, you know, uh, Sam Allardyce, and I, I know I know people that work for him. Not pleasing on the eye at times. Okay, I understand that. But there is a, an identity to his teams. There is an understanding of what he wants his players to do. And I look at his teams, and I think his players understand their roles within the team. So within that. You're talking about a, a really high-level coach as well. Um, and, and I'd add to Karthik, I think one of the, the main pivots towards uh, a Potter style of coach, someone who can play progressive, is you're surviving. If you, if you think of the Stokes, um, you know, the Blackburns of this, this, this world that just simply survive, it's become more of a business as well. I and mean, people may not like that, but in the Premier League, you want to attract top young talent that then you can sell for, for, for more money. So Ben White's an example at Brighton. He played as a progressive centre-back. He goes for 50 million to, 
to Arsenal. You look at Jan Basuma, who's playing in the midfield where he's very dynamic and probably will be the next one to move on from there. So all of a sudden, you become a breeding ground for top young talent. It's very difficult. You know, you have Brabia at Leipzig. I know he's gone back to, to Ajax, but a lot of young players are attracted to the, the opportunity to say, and, and clubs are, are, are very smart about doing this now, saying, come here, play well, you can move straight on there. And we're going to play to your strengths as well. Uh, I, I think it's it's the modern approach. It's taking into account that there is a business element here. We want to make money. Um, it might be a little bit braver because some people will say simply surviving in the Premier League is making money too. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with Karthik in the sense that it's moving more towards the, the Graham Potters of this world, the Eddie Howes of this world, who've, who've both been excellent in, in the jobs that they've done in the past. I'll wrap up with this, and you talk about how the soccer world is changing, and it could just be my interpretation of things, but it seems like executive boards are kind of losing the patience that they may have had, and obviously Liverpool did a great job of allowing Jurgen Klopp to build up that squad and reach the levels that they're at today, but we see so often, especially at a club like Manchester United or Chelsea, if a manager is not doing well after a year, maybe a year or two, they're going to get sacked, and that's not really a surprise anymore as it may have been a couple of years ago. And We don't really see the tenures of a Strauss Ferguson or an Arsene Wenger anymore. So how has the game changed? Either of you can answer this. And Are there certain executive boards that have lost patience, and can that actually be damaging to the club down the road? Yeah, I mean, I'll take a card, and then you can, you can jump on. Um, yeah, I think the clubs that struggle and the clubs that are constantly changing their their identity. Um, I think you mentioned Tottenham. I actually have a little bit of sympathy for Levy. I, th- I think he got caught in a, in, in, a, in a period with Pochettino where he had to pivot quickly, move quickly. Um, he made the mistake. But what I like about Levy is he corrected that mistake quickly and has brought in one of the top coaches in the world that will help you build an identity. But the issue is a lot like being on the field. Like You have to be all on the same page. And, and too many times we have so many different roles within the club that seem to differ in terms of personalities, what they want. If, if, if you have an executive director who didn't bring in that coach, are they, at, uh, are they at odds with each other in terms of what kind of players that they want, what kind of style they want? Everybody needs to be on the same page. Potter's benefited from that from day one at Brighton. You know, he was brought in by, um, I think it was Ashworth at the time and, 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 and Bloom, the chairman, and they knew exactly what they wanted. So when you have everybody on the same page, I think you can minimize the mistakes in the transfer market and so on. But your point, I, I do think we see so many people saying, well, I would do it differently, move away from this coach. Then you've assigned players for this coach's philosophy, for his style of play, and you bring in a, a completely different coach, and then you start spending money there. So all of a sudden, you just start digging this tremendous hole for yourself. The most important aspect for me is you go to, to ground zero on it and say, okay, what do we want? How do we all combined how do we get the people on this level to be on the same page i think leipzig for the most part have done a good job of that when you consider their rise of saying here's what we want now let's start to build from there and, and too many clubs are reactive not proactive in, in, in making those decisions yeah i completely agree and, and and the thing i would say about spurs also is that i was under the impression when levy hired conte that there was talk that he needs to beat Manchester United to the signing. I'm not sure Conte, given everything we've said about Manchester United and everything we know about them chopping and changing, randomly signing guys, uh, being more concerned about uh, stock prices than, than football results. I don't think Conte would have taken the United job, but uh, good, good move by Spurs, good move by Levy. He's correcting his mistake with, with Pochettino, and they've now got 
one of the top five coaches in the world and a guy whose philosophy and uh, enthusiasm will, will spread throughout that, that club. Uh, but this is this is exactly it. I think when you look at United and you look at Chelsea, they chop and change. They change philosophies. I mean, you go from uh, you go from Mourinho to Conte and then to Sassari. That's those are diametrically different styles. I mean, even when they they they, they gave AVB the eight or nine months and, and they tasked them with making the team younger and, and playing a higher line and then they didn't see it through. Uh, similar, obviously, United, I, I guess. The, the difference maybe with United is in Van Hall and Mourinho, they had two high-end coaches that they didn't really let uh, uh, see the project through. So I think as football evolves more to a business, it, it's it's difficult maybe to be patient and play, play the long game the way Liverpool and Manchester City both did. Uh, and the, the important thing about Pep to remember also is Manchester City had been winning pretty uh, regularly before he got there, but they figured they needed some stability. And also you had an ownership that was kind of getting tired of, of throwing 100 million, 200 million in every window. So they wanted a little more stability. And in the case of Liverpool, they made the brilliant hire. They made the hire that uh, also fit culturally the club. Klopp is very culturally a guy who fits the Liverpool supporters culture, the Liverpool history very much a Shankly Paisley like figure uh, for the modern era. in my, my opinion, um, Manchester United, Chelsea, they don't have that sort of ethos maybe. And, and that I think hurts clubs. I think absolutely. You want a more settled situation. You want an identity and you want a club built around a manager. I like, you know, speaking of Liverpool, the guy that Klopp succeeded, I like what uh, Brendan Rogers has built at, at Leicester. I'd be very disappointed if he jumped to a so-called bigger job. Cause I think he's got something really good going there and that, Club now is beginning after a few seasons to reflect Rogers playing preferences and preferences for pl- types of players. And, and I, I hope he sees it through there. I hope he doesn't jump at Man United or, or, uh, or Chelsea if those two jobs are open. All right, seems like a good place to wrap up. I hope you all, uh, you and Kartik, you Kartik and you as well, Keith, have a, a great and safe new year and also enjoying all the soccer you might be watching around the holiday season. So have a great one. Thanks, guys. Thank you.